Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to continue today in a series that we've been doing called, You Have Heard That It Was Said, But I Tell You. And really what we've been doing here is we've been trying to, I guess, have a better interpretation of scripture according to Jesus. How many know that the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the exact representation or likeness of the Father? You hear that all the time here, right? And so God was always like Jesus. We just didn't see it. And for some, you know, even Old Testament characters, they saw God in a particular light because it was thousands of years before Jesus came with the true revelation of who God was. And so you can only write according to, you can only believe according to what you see or what you believe God is like. And so I believe that Jesus needs to be the lens for us. Say that with me, the lens. The lens for us when we look at all scripture. Because again, he came to show us. He says, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. And what we see in the life of Christ is he came as the incarnation, God in flesh, and he lived out this life of grace, love, peace, acceptance. Why? To change hearts. Because what was his main message? Repent. For the kingdom of God is what? At hand. In fact, where is it? in you. He's trying to awaken us to something that was already there. We just didn't see it. This is important to see. But that word repent, if you've gone here for any amount of time, this is maybe for some newbies. The word repent in the Greek is metanoia. And it doesn't mean to grovel at an altar and hope God will accept you. It means to change your mind. So Jesus was literally saying, change your mind and then you can see the kingdom, which is already there, but let it manifest through you. But again, the only way you can do that is if you do what? Repent. Change your thinking, which then what? Changes your ways. And so we've been going over probably like four weeks now. I think this is week five, actually. But I want to look at a scripture here, a portion of scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter five. And if you want to follow along, you can do so on the screens behind me. Also, if you have a smartphone or smart device and you have the YouVersion Bible app, if you were to open that up, Go to the More tab, then select Events. Uh, right there, we have all the notes, the scriptures right there for you. And also, you can add your own notes and save it for further reference. But I want to start here in verse, uh, let's go to 43. Now, this is Jesus. It's a pretty popular portion of scripture and in the life of Christ. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says here, you have heard that it was said, say it with me, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's an interesting teaching, huh? Look at 44. But I tell you this. See, Jesus, what's he doing? He's trying to clear things up to give us a better vision of what God is like and what the kingdom of God looks like. He says, but I tell you this, love your enemies. Say that with me. Love your enemies. Now, the, the title of the message today is, Love your enemies? And then I added in, what? Say that with me, what? Yeah, I've noticed that this isn't a particularly popular message in the evangelical church. Like we we like to cherry pick what Jesus says, but 
But then it's, it's easy to hold picket signs in front of places and go on Facebook and point fingers at people who we consider enemies. But yet Jesus said to love your enemies. And look what he says, and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you read this and you're honest with yourself, just like I had to be, did you gulp? Did you, did you have to go, mm, okay, I don't think I've arrived on that yet because I know I haven't. But look at this, in 45, this is why. He says, in this way, you show that you are children of your Father in heaven. Now, he's saying you're not a child if you don't display this, but he's saying this is how you show you are children of the Father in heaven. And I love what he says here. He says, he makes his sun rise on people, whether they are good or evil. He lets rain follow them, whether they are just or unjust. If you love those who love you, do you deserve a reward? Even the tax collectors do that. Look at this in 47. Are you doing anything remarkable if you welcome only friends? Everyone does that. That is why you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, these are really strong words, and I want to break this down just a little bit today. But I want to talk about this idea of loving your enemy. I want to talk about this love of enemy thing. And... I, I don't think that we can exhaust the full spectrum of this teaching by Jesus, but it's important to often remind ourselves that this is how the kingdom works. I mean, just take a look around you. Look at this planet all around us, and we see this running theme of, of payback and retribution, eye for an eye mentality. And unfortunately, we have to face persecution, harassment, and mistreatment of others. How many have experienced that in their own lives? I mean, maybe you've had this happen in your own life. I know I have. I mean, I've had situations, uh, you know, where I'm even, I would say I'm not even really comfortable to talk about because I'm not proud of my reactions. I mean, I almost put someone in the hospital before for stealing from me. I've uh, cussed people out uh, on, the, on the expressway or because I, what, what, are you, I'm just being honest with you. That's, that's where, I mean, it's been a couple weeks. Okay, so give me some grace. But the truth is, we just have to be honest with this. I mean, what is our reaction to people who we would consider our enemies? Because when we're wronged in life, we face a decision. Do we retaliate? Do we hate back? Or do we love and pray for them? I'm not saying this is easy, but we can sum it up like this. Love and forgiveness, it begins and ends with us. Someone's got to make a decision that we're just going to love and forgive in every situation. That doesn't mean that what the person has done to us is right. And we may have to remove ourselves from that relationship because love isn't staying there and being hurt. But we have to release, we have to forgive, and we can always love from afar. I've used this example before of fruit. Imagine someone comes up to you and they, they have this piece of fruit and as they extend this piece of fruit to you, it's like nasty and, and moldy and disgusting. Let me ask you a question. Do you have to take it just because it's offered to you? No. I mean, you literally go, oh, well, thank you. And then you don't have to eat it, right? I mean, did you have a bad experience in life? Can we all say yes? We've had bad experiences. But, but here's the thing, it's up to you to either grab the bad fruit and hold on to it or to let it go. Just because the bad fruit is presented to you 
you don't have to take it. Now, here's the thing. For most of us, maybe we're anticipating a nice piece of ripe, juicy fruit, and we built up expectations in life only to be let down. All of us have dealt with this. But listen to me. You don't have to get offended at being given bad fruit. Here's what I found out a lot of times. Hurt people hurt people. I know we've heard this before, and it's become cliche, but it's the truth. You know, years ago... Even in my youth, in my teens, I knew that I was called to ministry, but I ran from it. I wanted nothing to do with ministry. My parents were pastors, and I saw how people treated them. I mean, there's people in here, you grew up in ministry too, and you've seen all those things. And so I thought, well, I'll do the next best thing. I'll just become a rock star. You know? So, you know, I played in bands all around the world. I toured, but there was something that never would let me go about this whole ministry thing, and even being a pastor. I remember at one point, my dad's like, I was like 19, and... He, he thought, you know, would you maybe consider being a youth pastor? I went, absolutely not. Want nothing to do with it. Because I saw how people treated my parents. And my parents gave their life to ministry. But, you know, within a, probably a decade, God really began to work on my heart. And I had to come to this point where I could see people through the eyes of the Heavenly Father. That hurt people, absolutely hurt people. And so when someone would hurt me or they would retaliate against something that I've done or said, even if it was meant to be good, I had to learn that I just happened to be there at the time. I'm the target that's taking the brunt of the hurt that they have in their heart. And so it doesn't make it easy, but at the same time, it made it easier for me to realize, listen, we just all have our baggage, right? We all have stuff in life that we've gone through. We, we have tragedy that's happened in our life. We have mistreatments and things that have happened to us. And so many people internalize, and especially in this culture, we're, we're afraid to let it out. We're afraid to let people know because we don't want to be vulnerable. But there's something about vulnerability. That, that's, that's a kingdom thing when you're open. What do the scriptures tell us? It says, confess your faults to one another. Why? So healing may come. See, we've been told in society that, no, 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 hide it. Don't tell anybody. Or even in religion. Religion says, well, if you're behind that pulpit, you, you got to play the role of being perfect. I was talking to a guy the other day at work, and he said to me, he just says, man, you know what I love about you? I was like, what? He goes, you're just honest and, like, open and transparent. I was like, well, how else, how else can you be? He's like, no, seriously. He says, I grew up in the church, and I got hurt because there were leaders in churches who they would almost put off this aura that they were perfect and you were less than them. And they would, as they would grow in ministry, they almost had no time for you and, and you weren't good enough for them. I'm like, man, I'm sorry, brother. That's not what the kingdom's about. There, there's no one better than the other, not just in the kingdom, but in this world. We have to see this. And when we do, I think it becomes easier to go, okay, I know that person's wronged me and I know that I would consider them my enemy, but Jesus, how do you see this? Does that make sense? The author of Hebrews tells us this. Try to live peacefully with everyone. Some translation says to pursue peace. And in the Greek, it literally means to aggressively pursue peace. And it says, and try to live holy lives. That doesn't mean like super spiritual. It means set apart, different. Let me tell you this. If you're living a life of peace, that is definitely different than the way the world handles things, right? So just living in peace is living a holy life. Because if you don't, look at this, you will not see the Lord. That word see in the Greek means to behold. 
It's not saying the Lord's not around you, but here's the thing. If you're not walking in peace, you can't see what's right in front of you. Again, what did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, it is in you, but you can't see it until you begin to walk in kingdom way with peace. Look at this in verse 15. He says, make sure that everyone has kindness from God so that bitterness doesn't take root and grow up to cause trouble that corrupts many of you. Now, I just want to take an example, and I'm really going to split this into two separate weeks because there's two stories that I want to go through, and there's not enough time to do this. In fact, Maya, can you put 25 minutes up on there, please? I don't think we started that. I know people got roasting in the crock pot and stuff, so. But I think that Joseph is a tremendous example. How many know who Joseph is in the Old Testament? He's a, he's a tremendous, wonderful example of what it looks like to walk out love and forgiveness. And there's a story in Genesis 50, and we're going to just kind of bounce around a little bit here. Actually, we'll start here in Genesis 37 to the story. But this is the story of Jacob. It says the story continues with Joseph, 17 years old at the time, helping out his brother in herding the flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wife, Bilhah and Zilpah. And Joseph brought his father bad reports on them, talking about what he did for his brother. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age. And look at this, and he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. How many are familiar with uh, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor coat? It's a different story. It's not this one. But anyway, it's loosely based on it. But he did make him this, this elaborate embroidered coat. It says, when his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, they grew to what? Hate him. They wouldn't even speak to him. Now, you see the animosity here? Now, look at this. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat. So far, so good, right? All of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up. And get this, guys. Your bundles circled around, and they bowed down to mine. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes we shouldn't tell people our dreams. Verse 8, his brother said, so you're going to rule us, huh? You're going to boss us around? And they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way that he had talked. Look at this in verse 9. He had another dream. Oh, man. And told this one also to his brothers. I dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. (laughs) When he told it to his father and his brothers, his father reprimanded him saying, what's with all this dreaming? Am I and your mother and your brothers all supposed to bow down to you? Now his brothers were really jealous, but his father brooded over the whole business. Can you kind of get a feel for what's going on here? I mean, there's so many lessons within this story, but I think the first lesson we learn is don't tell everyone your dreams. Right? You ever told someone, man, I got this, I mean, you might, not, you might not say dream, but I got this idea and this, this goal, and they're like, yeah, whatever, man. And you kind of get deflated, and you're like, oh. You know, tell people whom you can trust, people that you can trust with your dreams, right? That's a good story there. But look at this. His brothers hated him because his dad showed him favoritism. Not only that, he was a tattletale. If you look in the first portion, it says he would tell his dad, he'd bring a bad report of everything that they were doing. How many grew up in a house like that? I was the oldest. How many had that younger sibling that would always tattle on you? are like, man. You know, now we're like, don't tattle. My parents were like, bring it on. What else did he do? I'm like, come on. You're ratting me out. 
He also had dreams about them all bowing before him, and he chose to tell those brothers his dreams. So a little bit later in the story, we see that Jacob, who we also could call Israel, he sends Joseph to check on his brothers. They, they herded flocks, and so they had taken the flocks off to a distant uh, area to do this. And it says that as he came near them, when they saw him from a distance, it says, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now, I've said before, oh, I just want to, I might have uttered those words about a sibling, but I never really meant it. These guys wanted to kill their brother. In fact, they'd say, oh, here comes the dreamer. (laughs) And they meant it in sarcasm. There's only one brother, if you read the story, Reuben, when they wanted to plot and kill him, he says, listen, we, we can't kill him. He's our own brother. So it says they're sitting there eating and they get this idea. I think Reuben, the older brother, leaves because they're sitting there this idea. They said, we'll just throw him down this well. And we'll just leave him there, and then we'll just take that beautiful coat, and we can dip it in some goat blood, and we'll just tell Father he was attacked by a wild beast. Well, then there's this caravan of these gypsies coming by, and they decide, hey, let's just sell him to them. They got like 20 pieces of silver to sell him, and he goes off to Egypt where they then sell him again. So, I mean, he's already got this horrible life, but I think it's interesting that the oldest brother, Reuben, is like, look, we can't kill him. In fact, when he comes back, after they sold him, they said, where'd our brother go? And they're like, oh, we sold him. He's like, oh, you guys, now we have to lie to our dad. So they kill a goat. So a goat got killed in the process too. That's pretty sad, isn't it? So they kill a goat, they dip his robe in the blood and bring it back to their father who thinks Joseph has been killed by some wild animal. Meanwhile, say meanwhile, back in Egypt, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, and captains of his guard. Now, Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. She thought he was hot stuff. And so she tried to pursue him, but when he refuses, she lies about him, saying that he tried to rape her, and he ends up in prison. So think about this life. His brothers hate him. Now, maybe he should have kept his mouth shut, but his brothers hate him. They want to kill him. They decide to have mercy, so they sell him. And then the ones they sold him to sell him to Potiphar, He ends up in this household where the wife now lies about him trying to rape her, and now he's in prison. Say, what a life. I mean, I've never been through all that. Now, I've been through some stuff, but I haven't been through this type of stuff. Now, let's fast forward. Because Joseph's in prison, and he's with some guys there who have these dreams, and he begins to interpret their dreams. And the dreams that he interpreted became true, and it was true. And so a little bit later, Pharaoh has this dream. And he couldn't interpret it. All his magicians, all the people in his court, they couldn't figure out what the dreams were all about. And it says that one of the guys in his court, I think it was the baker who was actually in prison, whom Joseph had interpreted this dream, he said, I remember this guy. He's a Hebrew. His name's Joseph. He's in prison. And he interpreted my dream, and it came true. And Pharaoh, of course, is like, send for him. So he comes back. He hears the dreams. He interprets them. And listen to this. The Pharaoh makes him second in command of all of Egypt. Now talk about a big promotion, right? Second in command of all of Egypt. So here's Joseph. He's been through it, right? But now he's been promoted. And so I want to look at a scripture. We go a little bit further in Genesis chapter 50 because it's interesting. His brothers actually came. There was a famine in the land. In Egypt, because of the dream... 
They had, you know, stored grain and they were, they prepared for it. So they began selling to other nations so that they wouldn't starve. Well, it's interesting. The brothers end up coming and standing right before Joseph, second to the Pharaoh. They don't recognize who he is, but he recognizes who they are. Now, I'd like to say this. I'd like to say, you know, in the story that Joseph was like, oh, my brothers, I love you. All is forgiven. Well, he plays some mind games with them. Right? He gives them grain, and then he sticks the money back in there. Then they come back. He does it again, and he sticks his, his royal chalice in there and accuses them of stealing. He puts them in prison for a while. So he's kind of getting back at them, but then something breaks inside him. He realizes, man, this, these are my brothers. What am I doing in this situation? And so the father dies. After he moves them all back to Egypt, he gives them their own land. The Pharaoh's all in on this. He takes care of them. They live this lavish life. The father ends up dying. He goes back to bury the father. But then the boys, the brothers, they start to worry because they think, father's dead now. I wonder if he's holding a grudge against us. If he holds a grudge against us, now he might want to pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him. But look what he says here in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what had happened. See, he chose to have faith in God's restoration rather than faith in his personal retribution. And look at verse 21. He says, you have nothing to fear. Can you imagine? They were like, You have nothing to fear. He says, I will take care of you and your children. So he reassured them with kind words, look at this, that touched their hearts. See, love wins. He forgives his brothers. I mean, I'm thinking about the life of Joseph. Time after time, he's betrayed. We could say he's given bad fruit, right? For year after year, he deals with letting go of his bad fruit, not allowing offenses toward him to take hold and bring bitterness, despite the fact that his brothers wanted to kill him, that they wouldn't speak to him, that they sold him as a slave, that he had false accusations in life, and he had years of imprisonment. You know, there was a total of 13 years of betrayal in his life. He was 17, and by 30, that's a pretty long time, right? 13, 17, by 30 is when he was promoted under the Pharaoh. So those 13 years of pain, it's not just that his brothers did this. I mean, there must have been times, I think Joseph was a sensitive individual because it even said that when he saw his brothers, he would have to leave the room because he was weeping and crying. Why? He missed his family, man. How many times maybe did he in privacy weep and cry over the hurt and the rejection that he felt in his life? But despite all that, he made the right decision. He says, I'm reassuring you. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. Second in command of all of Egypt. He could have had them killed. He could have imprisoned them for life. And he chose not to. He chose to forgive and not just forgive, but take care of them for the rest of his life. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 says this. Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. See, I think his brothers, he realizes they need good done to them. Somewhere in their life. And we could say, well, Joseph brought it on by what he said. I get it. But something inside them, I think they felt rejection. They felt less than. And so they, they played it out. They projected it upon him in this fashion. But what does it say? Whenever you possibly can. 
Not when you want to, whenever you possibly can do good to those who need it. See, in the end, Joseph refuses to allow anger and resentment to win, and he allows love and forgiveness to restore and turn evil into good. What we see in his life is through God's love in his heart, he allows God to change the outcome. Now, I know some of us are struggling with this a little bit because you're like, I, I, I get it, but, but you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know how they dragged me through the mud. I may. I've had people say things that weren't true about me. I've had people steal from me. I've had people physically fight me. I mean, we've all dealt with these things. But I believe that we can do this because Jesus says we can do this. This is the life that Jesus lived. We just have to get a different perspective. Repent, metanoia, change your mind, see things differently. I pray that the church will grab a hold of this. I pray that the body of Christ would grab a hold of this because, man, just, just 10 minutes on social media and it looks nothing like love and forgiveness. And I'm not talking about people who aren't following Christ. I'm talking about Christ followers. Because we let our way of life, we let our value system, uh, we let our you know, political bent, we let those things pull us and sway us rather than the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness, which means right relationship. It's peace. It's joy. It's love. It's grace. It's welcoming those who others say don't belong. This is what Jesus did. He's our example for this. And I think a lot of times we often forget that we have responsibility here and now. See, God works through us to bring peace and love, healing and restoration to this world. I think this is such a great thing when we realize, wow, I, I, I get to do this. You know, there's one phrase that, that I know what people are saying, and I used to say this like, wow, it looks like God's really using you, right? Well, in the world, using people is not a good thing. But here's the beauty to me. It's not that God's using you. He's allowing you to participate in kingdom life. When I realize that, wow, I get to participate. I get to bring things like peace, love, and healing, and restoration to the world. It's awesome. So this brings us full circle to Matthew chapter 5, and verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies. Say that with me. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That word persecute actually in the Greek also is translated harass. You ever been harassed before? And you're like, pray for those who harass me? I like to punch them. That's another P word, right? Pray or punch, you know? But pray for those who persecute or harass you. But look at this, in this way, what way? Loving your enemies. Praying for those who harass you. In this way, you show that you are children of your father in heaven. You know, in the early church, this was, this was a big deal. In fact, many of the Greeks, the Romans, those who would see the church, it's even in history, people have wrote, there's something about this following called the way. These people accept and love everybody. It, it, it was blowing their minds. I mean, people were changed and drawn to this because this was not the way of the world. The world was built on hatred and greed, and war, and vengeance, and retribution. Um, sound familiar? See, the kingdom is growing, 
But for some of us, we haven't awakened to the truth of what that looks like. We haven't allowed ourselves to be those open vessels that are participating in the kingdom way, the good news, the gospel, and spreading healing and restoration. And so even when the early church did it, I mean, people would write in history, these guys, it's crazy. They, they're selling what they have, they're pulling it together, and they're making sure that no one goes without anything. I'm not saying we're going to have a like selling service and we all bring our money in. I'm just saying it was their mentality of no one goes without, even if they don't go to my church. Come on, somebody. That's pretty powerful. But I love this in 48. He says, that is why you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I remember reading this verse and thinking, man, I got some work to do because, I mean, how many here are perfect? Show of hands. But it's interesting. I mean, that's an English translation of a Greek word. The Greek word actually means full grown, mature, and complete. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, when you get to the point where you can walk in love towards your enemies, when you can pray for those who use you, who persecute you, who harass you, you're showing perfected love, which is mature, full-grown love. Isn't that beautiful? Well, listen, this isn't just some Sunday morning pie-in-the-sky vision that I have. This is what Jesus says. These are his words. This is something that can truly happen. I believe that we can come to a full-grown, complete, mature state of loving our enemies. And I think about this. Paul wrote that we were enemies of God, and I love that he goes on to say, in our minds. Do you know that we were never enemies of God? We weren't. We can go all the way back to the beautiful Hebrew creation poem, and what do we see in there? We see that Adam and Eve, the first man and woman represented in this world, what what happened? They sinned. Where did God go? Away or to them? To them. In fact, he offered the first sacrifice and provided it. It says that he killed an animal and he covered them. See, that's what God does. He covers your shame. He doesn't go, yeah, I'm going to shame you. See, this is the two things that, that the Apostle John tells us that God is, that he's love and he's light. And I love that, that symbolism of light because what does light do? It exposes things. It shows things, Right? And I know a lot of times in my life, you know, the love of God is wonderful, but it's not always ooey and gooey. There's times where I'm like, ooh, man, your love just showed some stuff in my soul that's kind of nasty. Like, I'm not loving my enemy like I should. But what's beautiful is he never exposes those things within us so that he can shame us. He's looking to heal those areas of our life, right? That light and love is there to heal us of those things. And, you know, I've come to a point in my life where I have love for those whom I used to consider enemies. Father has radically changed my heart. Now, listen, I haven't arrived, but I look at where I used to be. Man, I used to be staunch on some things, you know, and I look back and it's like, that wasn't even kingdom. That was like a particular side of the aisle. It was a particular um, idea that I had about, you know, a social issue, And it's like God has softened my heart to the point where I've learned how to, if someone says something that I don't agree with, I don't shun them and walk away from them. I say, hey, let's talk about this. 
And I've learned how to sit down and empathize with people and hear their story. So I'm telling you what's wild is, is when you replace just a person, right, with true humanity, you see them as human, it changes everything. And that's why I believe Jesus walked that way. He welcomed the sinners and the tax collectors. Those who, when you were, when you were called a sinner in the first century, it means that it was illegal for you to worship in the temple. Like you were completely outcast. You were labeled, this is who you are. And that's who Jesus hung with. We need to learn something. We could say this, that to the, the early religious establishment, those people were enemies. But by Jesus eating with them, which was a sign of covenant, a sign of acceptance, he was saying, mm -mm, no enemies in the kingdom. No lines, no borders, no labels. What this encourages us to do is sit down. I've sat down with people and heard their story and it's literally changed my mind. I had to repent in some areas and what I thought. And the Holy Spirit showed, it's kind of like when Peter had the vision. Remember the vision of the sheet that comes down and it shows those animals that you know, he's not supposed to eat. He was from Galilee, which the, the Galileans, they were extremely, um, they, they held really fast and hard and true to the ceremonial like cleanliness stuff. And so this was a big deal for Peter when he was offered to eat something that was unclean. Three times he had this vision and God said, take and eat. And Peter says, no, I can't, it's unclean. And what did God say? He says, don't call unclean clean what I've called clean. See, Peter needed repentance in his mind, didn't he? And right after that, guess what happens? There's a knock on the door. And a Roman, who's a Gentile, invites Peter to his house. And when he gets to the house, he says when he walks in, normally, I wouldn't even come into a Gentile's house because it's unclean. But God has shown me don't call unclean what he has called clean. Do you see the radical shift in his mind? There's times where I had to sit down at the table and realize, wow, Holy Spirit, what are you showing me here? What are you showing me here? Because maybe I've been calling someone an enemy and they're not really my enemy because in the kingdom there are no longer any enemies. I know this is hard to digest for some of us, but I think we need to mull this over and think about this. Next week, we're going to have a different story about a different man and some history there. And I'll tell you what, I think I'd almost side with this gentleman but then we see what happens when you open your heart to others. But again, I get it. It's never easy. You know, I had so much baggage in my own life, so much hurt, so much anger, rejection that I faced growing up in my life. And it's never easy to open up and to be honest about those things. But it's so worth it on the other side of growth and maturity. Getting to the point where you see people just as Heavenly Father sees people. Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, pray for those who harass you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning. I know that for some of us, this is a pretty heavy subject. It's not something we hear all the time. It's one of the hardest messages to preach because I know that there's people out there probably thinking things like, yeah, but you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. And for some of us, showing love and offering forgiveness, sure, it's letting them off the hook with us, but maybe there's legal ramifications. Maybe there's things that, that we need to you know, bring to the authorities. We don't just let people get away with stuff, but we, in our hearts, we have to learn how to release people, forgive people, let it go. We have to cast our cares on you because you care for us. We have to say, I'm not going to let this fester in the bitterness of my life. 
And Jesus, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know how much the human soul can take, and there's times where we just take and take and take, and it festers, and it's eating us alive, and you're saying, no, let it go. Show love, show forgiveness, extend that forgiveness to them. Show grace in this situation, because it's more about what that does for you than it does for that person. So I just pray right now for people who maybe are struggling with this, who you know, maybe in their own mind, they're like, I just don't know if I can let it go. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you're giving them the power to do this, to release this, however many times it takes in a day to let it go. I pray that you bring us to a place where we no longer see enemies, but we love people where they are, as they are. And I thank you that in those moments, those are the moments that will help bring change to those people's lives. Maybe for some of them, they can't even believe that we're releasing them, we're forgiving them, we're loving them, even with what they've done. Now say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace toward me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to extend that same grace and love to others, even if they don't deserve it because that's how you are with me. And so now I, as a kingdom individual, can do the same thing. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 